All right, let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Romans, the fifth chapter. And if you would, let's stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. You say, why do you have people stand to honor the reading of the Word of God? I said, you know, independent Baptists like to fuss and fight over everything. So I had a guy tell me one time, why do you do that? There's nothing in the Bible. Well, I get a principle out of Nehemiah chapter 8 that they stood If we did not stand tonight, it would not be unbiblical necessarily. But you know something, when when somebody important walks in the room, you stand in honor of that person. Um, If President Joe Biden came here tonight, I know what some of you are thinking. If he walked in the room, I would stand because I honor the office of the President of the United States. And you know something, we, we have a book here that was written by God Almighty. Amen. And when you open it up and you get ready to read from it, I think it gets everybody in the right frame of mind to stand. So I like to have people do that. And uh, if you disagree, you can argue with Brother Roger after I'm gone. Amen. <laughs> Romans chapter 5. Let's pick it up reading in verse 12. And we'll read down to verse 17. Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 12. Now, I'm here this week. I want to help the church. Last night, we talked about forgiveness versus the bondage of bitterness. And I want to talk about a subject tonight that's a tough subject to preach on because we don't like it. The flesh does not like the subject that I will address tonight. And that's what we want to beat down is the flesh. We want the flesh to die spiritually, and we want the Spirit of God to have free course. And this is something that has helped me, so I trust that it will help you as well. And so in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? He's comparing in Romans 5 what we lost in Adam, the flesh, and what we regain in the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in the spirit. And he says, not as the offense, verse 15, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace. And that's what I need is an abundance of grace. And that's what you get in Jesus Christ where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He says... Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And I want to call your attention there at the close of verse 17 how he says that believers, those who have received an abundance of grace, those who've been given the gift of righteousness, and that's a wonderful gift. That's what you need. Do you understand to get into heaven, you have to be, here's here's one qualification to get into heaven. You have to be perfect. That's all you got to be in order to go to heaven. Perfect. God demands perfection. Problem. 
we cannot produce perfection. So, you know, the blessing is God provided perfection in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And when you bow the knee to him and receive him as your Lord and Savior, God imputes to you righteousness. And because that righteousness has been imputed to us, we're supposed to, quote, reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And so the message tonight is, I want to find out, I want to get into your heart tonight with the truth of the Word of God and find out if you're enjoying reigning or not. The truth of the matter is, salvation, all aspects of it are miraculous. The new birth is a miracle. Amen. Glorification, that's a future part of, listen, everything God does many times is, can be broken down into threes and salvation comes in, in a, it's complete the moment you got saved, but I mean this, that there's three phases of it. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's future glorification. Justification happened in the past when you believed upon him. It's a legal decree. I'm free from all charges. Uh, glorification is future when the Lord returns. And as Dr. Adrian Rogers put it, he goes, "What we're, the, the middle part of salvation, that's a miracle too called sanctification. And that's a missing miracle in too many churches and in too many Christians' lives. And reigning in life is talking about some of that blessing, some of those blessings of salvation right now. And I think too many Christians look at salvation as, I'll go to heaven someday. But they don't realize that salvation is supposed to be affecting you in the positive Right now, today, it's to have an effect in, in your life today. You're supposed to be reigning in life. And we're going to talk about that with the Lord's help tonight. Let's pray. Father, I sure thank you for this church. I thank you for this opportunity to stand before these people. And I ask you, Lord, thank you, first of all, for a great day. Lord, a good day of fellowship and food. I thank you, Lord, for our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ here at East River Baptist Church. And Lord, my desire is to help this church, and I pray you would use me to do that tonight. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, to bless this message and to use it in the hearts and lives of these saints. Would you please meet with us now, and I pray Jesus Christ would be glorified and honored. We ask it all in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We are to be reigning in life by Jesus Christ. Reigning gives you the idea of being in charge. It kind of reminds you, as soon as I think of the word reign, I think of a king. I think of a king that has a dominion. And the truth of the matter is, when you got saved, according to chapter 6, it follows on the heels of Romans chapter 5. It says that sin shall not have dominion over you. In other words, you're supposed to be reigning over it. You're supposed to have dominion over your sin, over your flesh. Over uh, Satan and the devil, you're supposed to be reigning in life. How? By one Jesus Christ. And there's nothing better than reigning. That's a wonderful thing. But to reign means this. It means to possess or exercise sovereign power or authority. Boy, we like that word authority. God gives us authority in Christ. It says to rule or to hold supreme power. That's supposed to be the Christian life. That's supposed to be, as Watchman Nee wrote a book called, The Normal Christian Life. The normal Christian life has to do with you being in control of yourself and, and being governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reigning in life by one 
Jesus Christ. And how do we reign? We reign because God gives us the authority to reign in life. But the problem is most people are not reigning. Most Christians are not reigning. Most churches are not reigning. Why is that? Because God is the one that gives us authority to reign over the things he would have us to reign over. In other words, that's having authority and power in your prayer life. That's having authority and power over your flesh and over temptation. That's what reigning in life is. It's living the victorious Christian life. And God's the one that authors that. He's the one that gives the authority to do that. But the problem is most people are not reigning. Why is that? And here's the simple answer. God does not give authority to rebels. He won't do it. The first rebel was kicked out of heaven. And he is not going to give authority to any more rebels. Because it doesn't work that way. There's nothing worse than a rebel that's reigning. And in God's kingdom, there are no rebels that reign. So the reason most people short-circuit this thing of reigning in their life is because they have rebellion in their heart. And rebellion means no reigning. So if you're going to reign in the Christian life, what am I talking about reigning? I'm talking about having power in prayer. I'm talking about having an audience with God. I'm talking about exercising the authority He's given you over temptation and flesh and the devil and all of these things. I mean, it's almost like people are comfortable living in their sin these days. Well, you know, preacher, you got to be careful because, I mean, no, you know, even though we're saved, we still sin. I've heard that so many times, Brother Roger. I understand that. But how about we start saying, hey, we're not supposed to live like that. We've got new power. You realize salvation is more than just God forgiving you of your sins. What would it be, what good would it do to forgive somebody of their sins if you didn't give them power to live a better life, a cleaner life in the future? And the truth of the matter is, there's something inside you that wants to live clean if you've been born again. He say, I don't understand why I can't reign, why I don't seem to have a good prayer life, why I don't seem to get traction and move forward. I don't understand why I can't get rid of this besetting sin. It's because you forfeited your authority in God's kingdom because you're a rebel. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, let me just say this. We can't reign because God doesn't give authority to rebels. He kicked the first rebel out of heaven. And I'm telling you, rebellion is the lie of the devil. He is the original rebel. rebel rebellion is devilish. Uh, he said, I will be like the Most High. Isaiah 14. And people talk about Satanists and what they do. Oh, they worship Satan. Not exactly. They worship, they're taught Satanists are taught to worship self. Their their motto is, do as thou wilt. That's what the whole temptation in the garden was about. He told you not to do that. Who is he to tell you what you can and can't do? Look how good this tree is. Look at it. Uh, He's keeping something back from you. Just do it. Who is he to tell you what to do? And they did it. They rebelled. They acted independently of God. And we know what that, what happened there. We read it in Romans 5, 12. Rebellion originally is of the devil. And all kinds of rebellion is about that. Listen, whatever God says, the devil wants you to do the opposite. In the 1950s and 60s, uh, when the rock and roll music hit America, you know what the, one of the signs of, of a rebel was at that time? Long hair. And long hair in the 1960s was just sitting on your collar right here. 
In fact, I've seen pictures, black and white photos of the Rolling Stones, and they look more, they're dressed in shirts and ties in 1965. They look like, I have people send uh, things saying, hey, we'll come and entertain your youth group. And I mean, these guys look like thugs. I'd rather have the Stones from 1966. Because they look dressed for church, at least. And their hair was right here, but that was long. That was a rebellion. Because why? The Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. So if, if God says, I don't, I don't want long hair on men, then the devil says, you need to grow your hair out. If God says, you ladies, you need to have long hair because that's your glory, then the devil comes up and whispers and says, you need to buzz that off. Is that right? How, why is it? Hey, in the, you say, well, I don't know about all that. The book of Revelation talks about those things that come out of the earth and it says they have hair like women. I know what that looks like to you. Amen. So I'm talking about rebellion. He just tells you to do whatever God said to do. He says, do the opposite. Do you know what this whole mess of transgenderism really is? They're not confused. I am. I'm confused. But they're confused. But I can tell you this. You know what it really is behind all of it? It's rebellion. It says, not even my creator can tell me what I am. I'll decide even that. It's rebellion. And it's saying, I make the rules. I do what I want to do. When I want to do it. As often as I want to do it. Whenever I want to do it. Nobody tells me what to do. You say, what is that? That is satanic. That is the devil going against God's order. Can I tell you something? God is a God of order. And he knows what he's doing. And I'm telling you, you go back through there. I'll kick this one good too. Uh, You know what the feminist movement is? It's of the devil. Because it's whatever God says is the way it's supposed to be. The devil says, no, it should be another way. And you need to get out in the streets. And you need to let them know you're not going to be told this and you're not going to do that. And all of these things, anything to go against the order of God, it's all the devil is behind all of it. It's devilish. Number two, rebellion is deceptive because most of the time people say, well, you know, uh, they're deceived because they think that they're actually living free. But they're not. Rebellion creates bondage. You know, um, probably one of the best illustrations I've ever heard of it is this. You think about a, 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 a train. I mean, just a massive train, and it's doing what it does. It's, I, trains are fun to watch. And when you see them going, man, they're, you know, massive, and they got, they're, they're held together on two rails. And those rails tell that train where to go. Well, if the devil had its way with that train, he'd tell the train, who, who are these people that laid these Boundaries and these tracks out for you to follow. Jump the tracks and live free. Have you ever seen a train that decides to get off and live free in the field? It's not living free, it's wrecked. But that's the deception behind rebellion. Oh, if I didn't have all these rules, then I could do what I wanted to do and it wouldn't matter. No, uh, it does matter. And uh, listen, rebellion not only is devilish, it's not only deceptive, but this is the message tonight. It disconnects you from the authority of God because God cannot and will not give authority to rebels even in the family. And you say, what do you mean? What, what, how do Christians rebel against God? Well, the opposite of rebellion is the word that I want to use tonight. It's almost become a curse word. And the word is, are you ready for it? 
submission. Submission is a key in the Christian life. It's key. It is key to have victory and to reign. Because God does not give authority to rebels. And you're either rebelling or you're submitting. And this is one of those multifaceted subjects. Because right now, if you're already struggling with the message, it's because the devil has whispered, yes, but. Yes, but in your case. Yeah, but not in this situation. The preacher doesn't understand this. No, you know, by being disconnected from God's authority, when you became a citizen of the kingdom of God through the new birth and you were saved, you're under a new economy. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, you're working in, we're no longer of the world. We're now, we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We're working under new laws, spiritual laws. Listen, we're the only ones that have antennas that can receive the signals that come from heaven. The world's tuned into a different frequency. Okay, they're working off a certain kind of frequency. We're not to be conformed to this world. What does that mean when it says not to be conformed to the image of this world? Primarily in that verse, it talks about renewing our mind. And the only way you can renew your mind is through the Bible. Well, what does it mean to be conformed to the world? It's talking about thinking like them. Operating on their frequency. We don't operate on that frequency anymore. But too many people get in church after they get saved. They don't understand that they're working out under a new government, if you will, a spiritual one. And they still try to operate in the church the way they operated in the world. And it doesn't work that way. Because in the world's economy, you know how you get to the top? You fight. You insult one another by force, by manipulation, by threats, by violence, by complaints, by raised voices. That's how you get things done in the world. That is the exact opposite way you get things done in the kingdom of God. And you say, man, this doesn't make sense. It sure does. The Spirit of God will show it to you. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7 this evening and look at this. And um, this was taught to me by a preacher. I read a book and he pointed out, you know, what's amazing, what's such a blessing about our Bible is the fact that one word can open up an entire field of thought and truth that you've, you've missed. And in this passage right here, in Luke chapter 7, it's one word that opened this passage up to me. I've I'd never seen it till just about two years ago. It's simple, but man, it's, it's profound. Luke chapter 7 with me, if you will. <clears throat> Let's begin reading together verse 1. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, a centurion is a Roman soldier who has a hundred soldiers underneath him. He's a ranking soldier in the Roman army. You've heard that, but I just want to clear that up and make sure you understand. And when you see centurion, you think a hundred because a century is a hundred years. A centurion is over a hundred soldiers. So this certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with him, with them, excuse me. And when he was now not far from the house, what a great story. Look at this. The centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. That centurion is saying, hey, tell him that he doesn't even need to come down here. 
I'm not worthy to have that man in my living room. And look what he goes on to say. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Now verse 8. For I also am a man set under authority. Having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, I never understood what this, what's this faith he's talking about. I know he honors the Lord by saying, look, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy to come out there where you're at. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And I used to think, well, what, what, where's the faith being exercised at there? Other than he knows who he is, but I'm not sure I'm following it. And the key word is in verse 8. When he sent the word to the Lord, he said this. I, here's the word, also am a man set under authority. In other words, he says, Lord, I've observed your ministry and I know how you work. He said, I see how you operate. It's the same way I operate. This man understood something about authority. And he knew Jesus Christ knew about authority. And what does he say? He goes, I'm a man set under authority. Well, what authority was he under? He was under the Roman government's authority. The military authority gave him his authority. And then immediately he says, I tell one to go and he goeth and to another to come. And he cometh and to this one to do that and he doeth it. We used to laugh, Brother Paul Hamilton, do you all support him to Moldova? You know of him? Brother Paul Hamilton was at our missions conference one time years ago, and the men of our church never got over this. He was going through the, the, thing, the slides, and all of a sudden there was a picture of his wife. He goes, and he was going through how he does. He says, all right, here we are, Moldova, amen, yeah, you know. And he's going through those slides, and he says, that's my wife. Uh, I tell her what to do, and she does it, amen. And, and then all the men were sitting there going, amen, yes. They wouldn't name men, but afterwards, boy, in the parking lot when their wife wasn't around, they go, I heard what he said. I tell her what to do, and she does it. Amen. And you know what that is? That's because he's under, if that's true, <laughs> that's because he's under authority. Because a man who has authority knows how to get under it. And that's a key in the Christian life. God doesn't give authority to rebels. And so, whatever God tells you to get under, You have to get under if you're going to have authority like the Roman centurion had. He said, I'm under authority and that's why I can tell one to go and he goes. And to another, come and he cometh. Why? Because he understands authority. And here's the thing, to get under authority takes faith. Because God has given us imperfect authorities to get under. And that's the reason everybody says, well, I would if... If I agree, listen, submission is not really submission as long as you agree. Submission comes when you say, I wouldn't do it that way. But it's not my call. And I've got to get under. Listen, I used this illustration last year or the year before, but it fits this sermon. I'm going to use it again. Submission is the word. The word surrender is not in our King James text from Genesis to Revelation. It's not in there. Now, I'm not going to get into a semantics war with men because I've used the word surrender. You need to come and surrender your life, and I get all of that. But also, when I find out that there's a word missing and there's a better Bible word, I'm going to use the Bible word. Surrender 
is not the best of terms, and here's why. When Lee surrendered to Grant on April the 8th, one of the last things he said to General John Gordon, he said, there is nothing left for us to do. They're down to 25,000 men. They have no food, no rations. They're out of ammunition, and they're surrounded by about 80,000 Union soldiers. They're hemmed in. They've looked for every way to cut their way out. I mean, they've told them, if they don't give us, Longstreet told Lee when he went to meet Grant, he goes, if he doesn't offer us honorable terms, let's cut our way out of here. Let's die. We're not, we're not going to be humiliated by these people. And Lee said this the night before he met Grant. He said, there is nothing for me that I can do. So I must go see Grant and I would rather die a thousand deaths. So in other words, I'm surrendering against my will. It's really a term used in war. Submission means I'm glad to get down here underneath what God has put over me. This is not me surrendering going, I hate this. But it's me with a heart saying, I want authority in my Christian life, so by faith I'm going to get under whatever God's put over me so that I can be over what God's put under me. And that's what's being taught between, in, in that passage when he said, I also am a man set under authority. Have you ever considered this in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? He was submitted to his Father in heaven. In Luke chapter 2, the only passage that tells us anything about the childhood of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the Bible says? He was 12 years old. And his mother and his stepfather uh, take off with the, the, the crowd heading back to Nazareth. They go a whole day's journey. And Mary sees Joseph and Joseph sees Mary and he says, Hey, is Jesus with you? Thought he was with you. No, he was with you last time I saw him. Has anybody seen him? I mean, you talk about, listen, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but if anyone ever did, they did. Because salvation's in a person, they don't know where he's at. <laughs> but you know something, if you really could lose it, there's fixing to be a grand search. And so for three days, they're hunting for him, and they backtrack to Jerusalem. Now think about it, Jerusalem is a city that is busy because it's, there's been a religious thing there going on. Jerusalem would be like Houston, if you will, a big city with lots of activity, lots of things going on. There's a 12-year-old. How would you like to look for three days for your 12-year-old in Houston? So they're hunting. They're, they're nervous. And Mary sees Jesus in the temple. Now somehow or another, he took care of himself. He found a place to sleep. He was well-fed and was in his right mind because he's down at the temple asking questions. And answering them. It's the son of God. Manifest in the flesh. And his mother she said. We should, she goes. We, my father and I sought thee sorrowing. And he says. Wish you not that I must be about my father's business. But the Bible says. He went down to uh, Nazareth with them. And was quote. Subject. Unto them. He's under. A mother. And he got under a stepfather too. And he shows up the next chapter for his baptism. What are the words from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hasn't preached. He hasn't taught. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't performed a miracle. He has not done his ultimate work of going to the cross and dying, coming up from the dead three days later. He has simply, the Bible's told us that he's done one thing. Be subject to his parents. And the father parts the clouds and he's 
at his uh, baptism, when John brings him back up out of the water, God says, hey, this is my beloved son and I am well pleased in this man. How? What had he done? Listen to his mom and dad. And that got God's attention. And all his life, he was subject to his father. And that's why he had authority. And the Roman centurion saw that. He said, I also, also is the key word. I also am a man set under authority. So if you want to reign in this life by one Jesus Christ, y'all better get under something. And you know something, I, I got that line, we were laughing. I used to, I watch them old tornado videos. I had this uh, DVD, it's like six hours of tornado home videos that they'd somebody put together. And I mean, you know, they had it where, you know, everybody's, you know, every redneck in the southeastern portion of the United States is filming and uh, we were laughing because this guy down in Alabama was standing there in his dining room and he's filming through the picture window and there's an F5. I mean, it's just a wedge tornado. You just see kind of that slow motion. It looks slow, but it's not moving across. So you can't see the sides of the tornado. And he's standing at the top of the stairs. His wife is hysterical at the bottom of the stairs. And he's sitting there and the, the shutters are going clang, clang. And pretty soon the picnic table lifts up and it's gone. And he's waiting and he's waiting to the last second. I mean, the windows are rattling. The rumbling's going on and she's going, get downstairs. You're going to get killed. Get downstairs. And he hollers down the basement steps. He goes, y'all get under something. <laughs> that became that me and Brother Britton watched that years ago. And so pretty soon we just started hollering at each other across the church parking lot. Y'all get under something. And I'm here to preach to you tonight. If you want to reign in one, uh, in life by one Jesus Christ, if you want to have authority, y'all get under something. You got to get under before you can be over. You say, what am I supposed to get under? Well, your pastor taught me this years ago when he came and preached at Cornerstone. And that is that there are what we would call, and I like this term, there are umbrellas of authority. Umbrellas of authority. In other words, God doesn't have Lots and lots of authority, just got a handful that he's going to test you on to get under. There is the authority of society, government. Government is God's idea. Now, I understand right here everybody's mind's going in 50 different directions. But the truth of the matter is, we're supposed to be the best citizens a country has. When this thing broke out two years ago, I had the brethren's got all kinds of ideas and they love to promote them. They think this is what you got to do. I realized real early, everybody's got a different situation and you got to find out what you've got to do as a local church. And there were men that were getting online and saying, Romans 13 is not talking about the government, it's talking about the pastorate. And I thought, well, when did I get the authority to wield the sword? That means I can execute people that don't listen to me. I'm telling you, when you get, I understand that it's patriotism that drives men to be blind to what the Bible says, but you can't cover it up in 1 Peter 2. It talks about subject unto governors. Now, that doesn't mean if he asks me to do something unscriptural, I'm not going to get into all of that stuff, but I'm saying the attitude ought to be, I'll accommodate what you ask me to do if I agree or whether I don't agree. When we first started this deal, we moved our services to the outside. I had a big sound system we got. We put it on the porch. We kicked the doors wide open. I threw a couple of plants up there, put a pulpit, made it look all official. And I got a microphone and everybody pulled in and churches that weren't having services, they were driving over and parking in our parking lot and honking their horns. And the kids were out in the beds of the truck because it was springtime. And man, we were out there, good memories. And we did what they asked us to do. 
Some of the brethren going, I'd go right back inside. I wouldn't be out there. You're just, uh, you're just kowtowing on to this, this wicked government. Hey, they've not asked me to stop meeting yet. They've just said, hey, this is bad. You don't need to be in an enclosed place. And truth of the matter is, I didn't know what all was going on. At the end of the day, we were still assembling. And I thought to myself, what about these people saying, you need to be in your building if you're going to be biblical. Where's that in the Bible? That we, if we're going to have church, we've got to be inside. I mean, really, I'm glad to be inside tonight. But I'm just telling you, we have this attitude of I'm ready to go to war. Hey, I am too when they start telling me I can't preach the gospel. That's when you light a candle and you meet in the attic and you whisper the hymns and you tell people, amen, how to be saved. But I'm just telling you this, that Romans 13 says you're supposed to get under. Hey, when I was arrested almost 10 years ago for having a gun in the airport, I told that story here a few years ago. When that officer's digging through my pouch and I'm realizing, whoops, we're getting ready to fly down here at Brother Phil's church. And when I realized that he's going to find a pistol in there, a loaded pistol, I leaned over and said, Sir, I said, if you'll unzip the side pocket, that's been a big misunderstanding. <laughs> but there's a gun in there. <laughs> and I forgot to take out of my bag before I run it through the screen. And he looked at me, and he reached in the side there and pulled that pistol up. And he says, and it's loaded. I'm thinking, well, why carry a gun that's not loaded? You want me to throw it at him? You better get back. I'll sling this. I said, yes, it's loaded. And he looked at me and he said, preacher, civil authority, you're under arrest. And he wasn't smiling when he said it. My answer, sir, what do I need to do next? I'm guilty. I'm under authority. He has every right. And you know what? When I said that and he saw that I didn't start saying, hey, man, y'all back off me. You ain't going to arrest me. I'm sorry, but I don't care. I'll be careful here. You start kicking against the police officers that have the authority. You get clubbed in the head, that's your fault. Just do what they tell you to do when they tell you to do it. You can hire a lawyer later. And I remember when I told him, I said, sir, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. What do I do next? He looked at me and he said, he was gracious to me. And he handcuffed me when we got to the room. But he said, I'm not going to parade a preacher in handcuffs to this airport. I appreciate that. He could have. He had the authority to do that. The point is this. What's God say? He says, get under their authority. There's an umbrella of authority in society. There's an umbrella of authority in the workplace. And your boss, you as an employee. In the Bible, it's master and servant. That's a slavery relationship. We, we translate that in today's terms as employee and employer. But listen, that workplace is another place where God will test you. What kind of Christian are you? Your boss ought to say, man, I want to hire more Christians because they listen to me. And they do what I tell them to do. And they don't give me trouble every time I say I need this done. And complain. You say, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about getting under the authority that God's put over you. You say, oh, I wouldn't run a business this way. Good. Then quit, start your own business, and listen to people complain about what you're not doing right. What's the point? The point is, I, listen, I learned that. I had that old school generation kind of parents. And the first job I got, one of the first jobs I got, was a stock boy 
at uh, a convenient food mart. I was 16 years old. And I'd go in after work. I was all excited getting minimum wage. Minimum wage at the time was $3.85. And they kicked it up to four ten, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Over four And I remember going in, and I would work three nights a week from 4 p.m. to 8.30. That was the, the, the deal. And I went in there and I was learning how to do stuff. And the night manager, uh, you know, would be saying, have you, you know, rotated the milk out there? We got to keep the milk. The milk's down, man. You got to check that milk every 20 minutes. People are buying milk. So I'm, I'm learning how to do this and I'm hustling around. Well, I, they told me, they said, listen, you cannot put boxes in that dumpster out there without breaking them down. Because they said, we only have so much room. Break the boxes down. They said, people get fired around here for not breaking the boxes down. So I thought, break the boxes down, note to self. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to break them down. They're all taped up. Well, the night managers come by and goes, you are never going to get to check the milk if you break boxes down like that. He reaches over and there's a little leather pouch with a knife in it. He pulls that out. He says, use this knife, break the boxes down, put the knife back, take them out. So I'm slicing all these boxes down. I'm thinking, I'm doing it right. I get out there. I put those boxes in the side of the dumpster so there's plenty of room. I go home. That's a Friday night. Saturday morning, 5 a.m. It was the early spring, and so the, the manager, the owner, he would come in and carve out these watermelon fruit baskets for graduation uh, gifts and different things. And so he'd come in early in the morning. So he came in 5 o'clock to start his gift basket, his fruit basket orders. And he went to get that paring knife that I'd used to cut those boxes down. It wasn't there. And before I'd left that Friday night, I'd looked around. I thought, where's that knife at? So I, I thought, I must have. Forgot it in those boxes. And I've thrown it out. I dug through the dumpster. I looked for that knife. I couldn't find it. So I left him a note. Dear Mr. Elbert. I uh, apologize, but I was breaking boxes down, cutting these boxes with this paring knife, not thinking that was a big deal. You know, I didn't know that he had this thing specially, you know, sharpened. And this was his knife that he'd used for like since 1968 or something. And I have thrown it out and I can't find it. So I leave a note, tell him, hey, sorry about that. Let me know what one costs, and I'll buy it if, if I lost it unless you find it. So the phone rings at my house at 5 a.m., and I hear my dad on the phone. He said, hang on, I'll get him. So he puts the phone down. He says, Travis? He goes, your boss is on the phone. I said, and I, said I wonder if they need me to come in. <laughs> I'm doing such a good job breaking those boxes down. He's probably calling to tell me, Dad, how good I'm doing. I said, Hello? And if he had called me white, it would have been wonderful. But he used every word but that. Where is my knife? And I'll leave out the original. And I mean, it was so loud I had to pull the phone back. And a little bit known to me, my dad had gone around the corner and he has doubled over with laughter. And he slams, he says... Don't ever touch my knife. I'm so far behind. Why are you cutting boxes down? Boop! You know, the whole time. Slam. So he's hung up the phone on me. And I said, uh, uh, okay, I'll, I'll see you Monday. I pretended like he was still on the line because I didn't want my dad to hear me getting hung up on. So I said, okay, thanks for calling. You know, click. So I turn around, I come around the corner. And my dad's been over and he says, that is so good for you. I've been enjoying this. By the way, too many people today would be like, is he bullying you? We do not have put up with this. You're not going back in. In fact, I'm calling someone. That's not what my dad did. He goes, that's good for you. 
He says, man, he goes, there's nothing. I heard Brother Farley has a message called the blessing of a good cussing. And I, I sat there and dad goes, you'll learn. You'll learn. And you say, what do you want to do on Monday? I, I didn't want to go in, but I was taught you went in. And when I showed up that Monday, I'm talking about getting under authority. He's the authority. He signs my checks. I show up and the first thing I had to do was go out and start sweeping the, picking up the cigarette butts in the parking lot. When I got there, the little buzzer rang from his manager office. I thought, oh boy, here it goes. I'm done. But I walked into his office. He said, shut the door. And I shut the door and this guy, I mean, he's a classic boss, man. Just blood pressure up all the time, you know. He looked at me. He said, me and you are going to get along well. He said, you're honest. He said, we had running bets today that you wouldn't even come in. He said, I apologize for how I talked to you on Saturday, but don't touch my paring knife ever again. I said, I think we're straight on that. But he says, I appreciate you coming in today. He goes, that's the kind of employees that I can appreciate, that I can trust. And man, I walked out of there feeling 10 feet tall. But you know what? Today, you bless your heart, he's bullying you. You don't have to go in and deal with people like that. And you'd have been down laying on a couch. Somebody telling you, well, I tell you, I don't know how this is going to affect you when you get older. But you know, somebody doing that to you, here's some pills, take these. You're going to need these the rest of your life now that you've been rattled so bad. Traumatized. No, I learned a good lesson. I worked for him. Listen, God's got authority set up in the workplace. He's got authority set up in the church house. I'm talking about reigning. Do you want to reign or do you want to be a loser all your life? That's the question. If you're going to reign, you got to get under. Because God, what's, what's, the, what's the lesson tonight? God doesn't give authority to rebels. Got to get under if you want to be over. And so in the church house, there is authority. I'm not going to take you to all the passages for time's sake, but obviously the pastor is a spiritual authority at the church house. He has responsibilities that nobody else has. Somebody says, who died put you in charge? Jesus Christ. He died, bought the church with his blood, rose from the dead and says, here's how we're going to break this thing down. And you say, man, listen, when I was called to be pastor uh, over 14 years ago at Bluegrass Pike, I was not looking for a position of authority to start telling people what to do. I don't cherish that or relish that. And the truth of the matter is, it's a responsibility. And, and listen, I can't do a good job overseeing over a church unless I'm under his lordship. And by the way, if you're under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he says he's going to give you that authority. And you know, I can always tell when a man doesn't have authority because he tells me he has it. He talks about his authority all the time. If you have authority, everybody knows it. And you don't have to. I've had guys in my office before. I'm going to tell you right now, brother, on top, I run my house. No, you don't. Not if you got to tell me you do. If a pastor's got to constantly get up going, I'm in charge. Because he's not under the authority of Jesus Christ and he doesn't feel like he has control of the situation. And therefore he has to beat his chest. It's not about beating your chest. It's about if I'm under his lordship and I believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then he will give me the wisdom to oversee. And it makes it so much nicer when the church family says, hey, 
This is the man from among. I'm a member of the body of Christ as well. I'm not higher or closer to God. My prayers don't get to God quicker than yours do because I'm a pastor. We're just talking about God organizing his church. And if you want your church to function right, then get under the leadership's authority. Submit to what they're telling you to do and how they're doing things. The problem, and remember what I told you. People say, oh, I'm a, I believe in submission as long as they agree. And I'm going to tell you something. There is no way. You get a, a church this large, there's no way to please everybody. And I'm not trying to please everybody. I am trying to do what I believe the Lord Jesus Christ would have me to do. And I had a man one time when I first came to the church. And uh, he asked me a, a question about my position on a particular rather controversial subject. And I told him. And he says, well, I see things a little different than that. But then he said this, but he says, there won't be anybody in this church that knows that we dis- disagree. And it's a minor thing. It's not a big deal. It's not going to, doesn't cause trouble. But he just, he said, I just, he goes, you've, you've defended your position as well as I've ever heard it defended. But he says, I just can't go there. And I said, it's not a problem. And he told me, he says, well, listen to me. He goes, I believe in pastoral authority. And he says, there won't be anybody in this church that know that we disagree about that. That's the attitude. I don't have the liberty to dictate to his conscience on that subject. But he does not have the liberty to undermine me as his pastor either. And you know what that does? That allows God to continue to bless him. That's, that's the, this is the secret to the victorious Christian life. You want to reign in life? You want to have authority in God's kingdom? And you got to get under what he sets over you. And I'll be honest with you, if, if I came to a place, I, a guy told me one time, he came to me and had, was upset. I had no idea he was upset. It blindsided me. I didn't see it coming. But buddy, he had been keeping a Rolodex of errors for months. And now it was time to... And when he was done, I looked at him and I said, if I felt that way about my pastor, I would not sit under me. I would go and get under a man that I had respect for. I said, because we're not going to be able to fix this. I said, because if that's how you feel, I can't help you. Because he didn't show me anything I was doing unbiblical. It was just, I think, and I don't like. He told me one time, you didn't get that out of the Bible. I said, no, it's still in there. (laughs) Hey, I'm talking about having authority. If you want to have authority, you got to learn how to be submissive. I right, listen, we all know this. There's authority in the home. Society, the workplace, the church house, in the home. The husband is the head of the wife. She is to get under his leadership. And I know what some ladies thinking, oh, you don't know what a mess my husband makes of things. Well, you chose him. For better, for worse, turned out worse. Sorry about your luck. But you can't turn on God now. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. It says that Sarah called Abraham Lord, small l. And he wasn't always the best leader. One time he's coming into Gerar, king of Abimelech. And they're coming up there and he's thinking, nobody fears God here. They'll kill me in a heartbeat to get to her. I tell you what, tell them you're my sister. That way they'll let me live. They'll do whatever they're going to do to you, but at least I get to live. I mean, when you break it down, that's really what's going on. Sarah gets to town and she does. She gets under 
her Lord, little L. And the Bible says, listen, it says those holy women, listen, trusted in God. Remember, we get back to that step of faith. It takes faith to submit. And by faith, she went and she did what her husband led her to do, even though it was the wrong thing. And what happened? Then God took up her cause. And he came to Abimelech in a dream and he said, thou art but a dead man. You touch this woman and I'll kill you. He says, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know about this. In the innocence of my hand, integrity of my heart have I done this thing. Isn't that amazing that he had, he called adultery a great sin. And the law hadn't been written yet. Where was it at? In his conscience, a Gentile king, not even a Jew, a Gentile king before the law, without the church, without the gospel, without the indwelling Holy Ghost, without the law written on the Ten Commandments, on the two tablets of stone, still called adultery a great sin. What was guiding him? His conscience. God says, I know you did this in the innocency of your hands and in the integrity of your heart, but give that man back his wife or I'm going to kill everybody or something along those lines. So he restores Sarah to Abraham and chews Abraham out. What did you do this to me for? Abraham said, well, I didn't think you guys feared God. (laughs) And you know, here's the thing. How did Sarah do that? She did that by faith. Lord, I'm under him. And this is the position he put me in. It's on you now. Lord says, I'll take care of this. Ladies, if you want to, you'll do more talking to the Lord about him than you will nagging him about the Lord. You say, I don't nag. We know you're just trying to talk sense into him, but he translates that as nagging. Amen, that went over big. Remind me, I'll scratch that one out of my notes. I'm asking you if you want to reign in the Christian life. If you want to reign, you got to get under. And you got to do it by faith. Somebody says, well, it's hard to submit to imperfect authorities. That's why you got to do it by faith. And I can tell you this. This here is the ultimate authority. This one's perfect. Why don't you submit to this one? See, it's really not about the authority being perfect or imperfect. It's about us and our flesh saying, I do what nobody tells me what to do. If you have that attitude, God short circuits the authority because he does not give authority to rebels. I'll close with this. And I'm just asking you, search your heart tonight. And I could go on and talk to you children in the home. You're under mom and dad. Remember what Jesus Christ was commended for? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All he had done was been honoring to his mom and stepdad. You can do that by the grace of God. My son said something that encouraged me. We, we've got to that place when they're teenagers. The, I think when they turn 13, an alien comes and takes their brain from them. And, and, uh, and I, I, the older I get, the smarter my dad is. And I look at my son and I see myself in him from years ago. But he did say something intelligent the other day. We were talking about, you know, you know, one day when he gets married. And I said, well, you don't have to worry about that now because you're not in any position. You know, I understand I said that you're, you know, you're going to be thinking about girls. And that's a, that's a blessed day in a dad's life when a young man notices a girl. Thank the Lord. <laughs> so I'm not discouraging that. But I'm just telling him, just keep the brakes on, son. Because I said, you don't have any money in the bank. You don't have any plan. 
First guy that comes up to me to talk to me about Emily, I'm going to say, okay, how much money do you have? What is your plan? If you don't have a plan, you don't have any money, get a life. Amen. Get out of here. You're not going to come around my daughter. But the point is this. He finally said something that was halfway intelligent. He goes, well, you know, he goes, I'm still sleeping in your house. He goes, eating your food. And he says, and I have no choice because I don't have an income right now, a steady one. I said, now you're talking. And, and that's true because I want him to see these things. It's, it's, it's a wise thing for a Christian young man or young lady to get under their parents. God will bless that. But I want to close with this illustration about how God blesses and gives authority to people who get under. I got a young man at our church, Brother Jacob Dunn. He's 27, 28. He's got a beautiful young uh, family. He's got a wife, four little children. And he's been there since he was just a teenager. And him and I, he's been called to preach. And we meet and, and read books together. We'll read a chapter of a book and then discuss it and just pray together and spend time together. And I can trust him. He taught Sunday school yesterday while I was out of town. He oftentimes will take the church van and take teenagers, you know, to a parade or wherever we're doing something. And I can trust him not to do something ridiculous. And, and he's a trustworthy young man. And one morning here, early last summer, I'm in the middle. We had a big crowd at Sunday school. I'm teaching Sunday school and I'm preaching in a big way and I'm right here in the middle of the aisle. And in my peripheral, I see a young lady get up and she kind of does this where it's like, uh-oh, you can see that she's wobbly. And her mother jumps up and immediately gets up underneath her and is taking her toward the back door. And as she gets there, she just collapses and hits the, the frame of the door and falls into the hallway. So you hear everyone, you know, and look over. And I said, everybody stay seated. I said, I will get... 911 on there, I need you all to pray. And I took my microphone off because I didn't want everybody racing over there to gawk at a young lady. And it's like, that's not going to help anything. We had a nurse there. She got up and went over with that mama. I went back in my office. And I remember being back there thinking, there's a whole congregation of people unsupervised out there. I mean, I don't know how you think, but I'm, I'm thinking like, what's going on right now? Is it confusion? Are they up? What's going on? And so I'm concerned about that as a pastor. And I'm on the phone with the 911 operator talking about having authority and being under. And I get on there and the guy starts asking me questions. And so I take the phone and I go out of my office. I said, I'll tell you what I said, I'm going to answer all the questions I can, but I'm going to get you on the phone with the mother of this daughter. And so I come back into the sanctuary And it was a beautiful sight. The men were down in the altar. The ladies had their heads bowed. And there was just a a hum of prayer. And a couple of ladies that knew what they were doing that was tending to the girl that was out cold in the hallway over there. And I've got the phone and I looked around. And Brother Jacob, 28 years old, is up here behind the pulpit. And I didn't know what all had happened. But I know this, that that afternoon, Brother Mike Roberts was visiting us that morning. And I took him out to lunch. He said, who is that boy? And I said, that's Brother Jacob. You got a good one right there. He said, I just stood back and watched. He said, when you went back in the back to make that 911 call, he said, old Jacob got in the pulpit and took over. And he said, we need some men down here praying. And he says, and he said, you ladies pray. You know how Brother Mike Roberts is. And he says, man, he goes, he just took over like a seasoned pro. And I said, I'm going to tell you for why. Because he loves his pastor, he respects his pastor, and he does what his pastor asks him to do. And he gets under his pastor that God has put over him. So when he got in the pulpit, God gave him the authority to take over that situation and handle it. And that was a blessing to this pastor's heart. I'm not intimidated by men who can lead. 
I'm not intimidated by men who have authority with God. Because when it's all put in the right mix, it all works together for the good. And you say, well, you're just asking me, brother. I'll tell you, you got on that thing about the husband being over the wife. And you just want me to be a doormat. No, ma'am. The best women I know that have the, the sweetest spirit and the strongest spirit and victory in the Christian life are the women who know who they are in Christ and know who to get under and know who to respect and know who to listen to. It doesn't mean you don't have, don't have an opinion. It just means you're accommodating and you're under the authority that God put over you so that you can reign in life by one Jesus Christ. How do we reign? God gives authority to those that get under the authority that he's put in their life. And I could go on and I'm not, I'm done. I'm just asking tonight, how much authority do you really have in your Christian life? Do you understand what the centurion understood about Jesus Christ? I also am a man set under authority. And he goes, I tell one to go and he goeth. Well, how did he have the authority to tell people what to do? Because he was set under. And if you want authority, you've got to get under. Y'all get under something. It'll change your Christian life. You say, no, my situation is different. It is not. Your situation may be difficult, but by faith, like Sarah did, who trusted in God, you can follow even bad leadership and God will come to your rescue at the right time. You want to reign? Want victory? It's revival week. How do you get it? You get it through submission because we're working in God's kingdom Not the world's kingdom. We're in a new kingdom. Let's work off the principles in the new kingdom. Amen. Brother Roger.